0: CHAPTER THIRTY-FOUR OF ON A DONKEY'S HURRICANE DECK. THIS IS A LIBRIVOX RECORDING. ALL LIBRIVOX RECORDINGS ARE IN THE PUBLIC DOMAIN. FOR MORE INFORMATION OR TO VOLUNTEER, PLEASE VISIT LIBRIVOX.ORG. ON A DONKEY'S HURRICANE DECK. BY ROBERT PITCHER WOODWARD. CHAPTER THIRTY-FOUR BITTEN BY A RATTLER. BY PIE Pod. Sancho Panza hastened to his master's help as fast as his ass could go, and when he came up he found the knight unable to stir. Such a shock had Rocinante given him in the fall. Don Quixote. The casualty which terminated our celebration on the fifth seemed to portend bad luck. The metaphorical lightning first struck me. We struck camp that hot July day, before the sun was an hour high, and a mile beyond, trailed through a dog-town reservation. I had long been desirous of securing a prairie dog to have mounted. As a rule, one can pick off these shy creatures only at long rifle range. This morning, stealing up behind a cornfield, I wounded a dog, then dropping my gun ran to catch him before he could escape into his hole. Crawling through a barbed-wire fence without afterward appearing in disabile is considered by a tenderfoot the feat of feats. Before I reached the hole, half undressed, the dog had tumbled into it. He must have made a mistake, however, for out the fellow came and made for another hole. I grabbed him, but instantly dropped him, for he tried to bite me. Then, like a shot, he dived into the second hole, AND I THRUST MY ARM IN TO PULL HIM OUT, BUT MY HAND CAME OUT QUITE AS FAST AS IT WENT IN. IT WAS BITTEN, AND AT THE MOUTH OF THE HOLE I NOW DETECTED FOR THE FIRST TIME THE TAIL OF A RATTLESNAKE. THAT WAS AN AWFUL MOMENT. WHAT SHOULD I DO? MY WHISKY WAS GONE. I HAD NO antidote FOR THE POISON. I RUSHED TO WHERE COONSKIN WAS WAITING WITH MY OUTFIT. MAKE FOR THE HOUSE, HE EXCLAIMED. A ranch house stood some two miles away, but not a soul was in sight. Still, that seemed to be my only salvation. I realized a painful death was the only alternative. With a hundred other thoughts rushing into my head, I ran toward the distant house. Coonskin began picketing the donkeys and promised to follow. While racing madly through the cacti and sage, I thought of my past from three months upward. Just when I had reached an episode which almost ended my reckless career at the age of ten, I heard the sound of galloping hoofs, and a moment later a young woman reined her steed at my side, dismounted, and gave me her horse. "'Into the saddle! Quick, man!' she cried. "'Mother has turpentine and whiskey. The horse will take the fence and ditch. Pull leather!' stick to the saddle, never mind the stirrups, and to the horse, get home, topsy, run for your life, old gal. Like a flash, the big mare sped forward with the velocity of the wind. To pull leather, in the parlance of the cowboy, means to grip the saddle with the hands. For a cowpuncher to pull leather is deemed disgraceful. For Pod, it was excusable. Although the mare fairly flew, she did not travel half fast enough to suit me. With reins round the saddle horn, I gripped the saddle with my left hand and sucked the bite on my right. But suddenly the mare took a hop, skip, and jump over the fence and ditch, fell to her knees, and threw me over her head. When I sat up, I saw a woman in the door of the house, yet half a mile away, no doubt wondering how a maniac happened to be on her daughter's steed. The next moment Coonskin arrived all out of breath and assisted me to the house. Before we could fully explain the situation, the good woman disappeared, soon to return with a bottle of turpentine which she turned nozzle down over the snake-bite, while my valet poured whiskey down my throat. They say it takes a long time and much whiskey to affect one bitten by a rattler, but this case seemed to be an exception. In a few moments my head was going round, and I prostrate on a couch. My kind nurse looked curiously at the turpentine and finally said it was queer it didn't turn green, as it should in the case of a rattlesnake bite. A half hour passed, and still there was no change. Then, when I repeated my story of how the thing happened, she grinned, and said she guessed it was the prairie dog and not the snake that bit me after all. I was so dead drunk when the daughter came that she glanced at me and asked in a whisper, Is he dead? No, said the mother, and he ain't going to die. We've been trying to cure dog bite with snake bit, and I reckon it'll take a week or more to sober the man up. Then the daughter began to get a meal, and Coonskin went after my outfit, on the good woman's suggestion, to fetch my animals to the corral. It was not until morning that I was fit to sit my saddle, but I made the effort, and after thanking my hostesses and insisting on paying for the turpentine, we said good-bye. Midday travel in the Colorado desert at that season was enervating in the extreme. Our straw helmets, being supported by a skeleton crown, allowed a free circulation of air over and about the head also a free circulation of buffalo gnats, blue flies, mosquitoes, flying ants, grasshoppers, and everything else that hadn't an excuse for living. Everything seemed to be free in that country. The sun rays beat down mercilessly on the sandy plain, and every live thing seemed to be in search of shade or water. Once, while crossing the dry and cracked bed of a stream, I saw a rabbit almost dying of thirst, and I put an end to its agony with my six-shooter. In the narrow bars of shade cast by the fence posts along the railroad could be seen occasional birds standing on the hot sand, immovable, with bills wide open, panting from the excessive heat. We reached Stirling late that night, after a twenty-eight-mile journey. The town looked dull, Everybody complained of the hottest weather for years. It occurred to me that an awning would add greatly to our comfort, so I bought the canvas and had one made. Henceforth we would travel at night and sleep as much as possible in the day beneath the awning. I also purchased a light folding chair, which, with our table and stove, could easily be carried on skates the new donkey. We pitched camp eight miles from town, near a sod house and well. On the way, the donkeys became obstreperous, and before they were under control, our only lantern was smashed. This stroke of bad luck was the forerunner of other misfortunes. As I fell on my hard bed, expecting to have a delightful rest, I voiced a righteous yell of pain and leaped out of doors. I was a fair imitation of a porcupine. Coonskin had carelessly pitched the tent on a bed of cacti. The astonished fellow made profuse apologies and set to the task of picking the cactus spears out of me by the flare of lighted matches. But for a week I suffered the sensations of sleeping on pins and needles. The turtle bill deserved some notice. He was put in the center of a table at mealtime to catch flies, but all that stupid turtle did was to scrape them off his head by drawing it under his shell. He disdained the carnivorous diet. Millions of insects swarmed about the table, where before only thousands had gathered, attracted doubtless by Bill. They literally covered our food, and all we could safely eat was flapjacks. Holding a fork against the mouth, we could, with lips and tongue, draw a flapjack in through the tines, by which delicate operation all flies and other insects were scraped off, and in course of time a fairly good meal was conveyed to our stomachs. Of course, one's success depended upon the strength of the flapjacks. Most of them stood the strain. The afternoon of July 11 we saw Long's Peak, the first spur of the Rocky Mountains, in view. The following evening we rode into Fort Morgan. Journeying on to escape the heat of the day, we came at midnight to where several trails crossed and were puzzled which to take. Put the responsibility on the donkeys, I finally suggested. They've great instinct. Good idea, commented my valet, I've often heard of horses taking lost hunters out of the woods. So, giving the word, my caravan resumed the march in the darkness and went into camp about four in the morning. When I arose about noon, I was surprised to find ourselves on the outskirts of a village. I called Coonskin with a feeling of suspicion dawning on my mind. The blasted town looks familiar, said my valet. About that time, a cowboy rode up, and I asked him the name of the town. Fort Morgan, he answered. Have you fellows lost anything? Coonskin and I eyed each other, then both gazed thoughtfully at the jackasses. I was provoked about the loss of that night's journey. To think of our following our donkey's ears round an imaginary race-course in the desert some twenty-odd miles was not conducive to a good temper. Many well-meaning persons had advised me to carry a compass. Some day, some night, they said, I would stray from the trail. I resolved to purchase such an instrument immediately on reaching Denver. WE SPENT THE AFTERNOON ENJOYING THE LUXURIES OF OUR NEW AWNING AND CAMP CHAIRS. I WRITING MY ARTICLE FOR THE PRESS, COONSKIN READING A THRILLING DIME NOVEL. THIS IS THE LIFE, REMARKED MY NAPPING VALET, AS HE ROLLED OVER ON HIS PILLOW. YOU BET, I REPLIED. WE KNOW WHO WE ARE. I SUPPOSE THERE ARE LOTS OF FOLKS WHO DON'T KNOW, PROF, HE RETURNED but they'll find out before we reach Frisco. But Coonskin, I asked, looking up from my writing, do you know where we are? I had no sooner put the question than a whirlwind swept down upon the camp and scattered everything broadcast. Tent, awning, table, chairs, ink and writing pad, packing cases and articles of all kinds, not to mention dogs, donkeys and men chased each other over the cacti and sand, the tent half-inflated, rolled over in the scudding wind like a balloon. "'No, I don't,' said Coonskin, gaining a sitting posture, a rod from where I stood on my head, some hundred yards from our original camp. "'What are you talking about? Are you wandering?' I asked. "'I think the whole shooting-match has been wandering some,' said he. Picking the sand out of his eyes. It was long before we collected our belongings. I never found my letter for the press. Just before sunset, we took up the march across the broad rolling plains, which grew tiresome to look upon before darkness set in. But occasionally, a hand car with its sloop rigged sails set to the wind would speed over the rails in the distance like a catboat before a gale and break the monotony of the scene. This mode of travel appears to be characteristic of the western plains alone. We saw innumerable buffalo wallows, great depressions in the sand, where the vast herds of buffalo in the early days wallowed in the cool earth for salt, and to escape the heat and pestering gnats. In most cases these wallows are covered with cacti and other desert verdure, And are apt to upset the unwary traveler after dark unless he keeps to the beaten trail. At a little before sunset, we arrived at the great D horse ranch where we watered our animals and accepted the ranchman's invitation to supper. End of chapter thirty four. Recording by Arnold Banner, Thurmond, North Carolina.